colored folks who have considered doing the reading, but the time in the day wasn't enough. This season, we'll discuss the book, Black Food Map, Racial Justice in the Wake of Food Justice, edited by Hannah Garth and Ashante M. Reese. Chapter 4, Blackness and Justice in the Los Angeles Food Justice Movement. Hannah Garth volunteered with an organization with the mission to increase access to healthy food among residents of South and East LA. They focus on high school students by engaging them in community development projects, such as convergence store projects that introduce fresh fruits and vegetables to existing corner stores and liquor stores in the area. One day, while speaking to the students about their favorite foods, Hannah tells them that hers is macaroni and cheese. She is then later pulled aside and scolded by one of her colleagues who says that their job was to try to get kids to stop eating things like tortillas or macaroni and cheese and eat things like Brussels sprouts, kale, broccoli, healthy food. When Hannah responds saying that macaroni and cheese is a central part of black food culture, her colleague states that it did not matter if people were connected to their food because of their culture, because they needed to get them to stop eating foods that were pure fat and carbohydrates and eat more vegetables. This is one of several encounters Hannah has that demonstrates the dismissive and racist attitudes and practices that can show up under the guise of food justice. So one of the main people in the books is Hannah, and she starts the chapter out by describing a situation where she was working by food education to students at different mm-hmm. schools. And she says specifically that she felt the company was utilizing her blackness to legitimize its work, while at the same time policing the way in which she expressed her blackness. Um, due to just what she would say to the children, she would get chastised or just how she would act in certain situations. She'd be told those things weren't allowed. And so my question for you is, have you ever been involved in a situation or campaign where certain individuals were selected to participate, but then silenced by that group? Yeah. Um, I have definitely been in so so much that happens so much less at the job that I work now. Mm-hmm. It's like super minimal, but it does happen. But um, it has def. I've been in organizations and worked on like projects mostly outside of work. But this has definitely happened. Like people want people want the the poster card like college advertisement type diversity right. so they want the look yeah mm-hmm. they want to be like hey look we have brown people here mm-hmm. but they don't want the perspective the consciousness and especially the criticism and critique of um 
diverse perspectives. So definitely, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is um, I was part of a kind of like a feminist collective um, at the at the last bit of college. And it was comprised of like definitely some students, um, but also some professors and um, just like faculty members and stuff uh, at the school. And at first, everybody was like, you know, you, you get people that are super infatuated with the fact that like, oh, my God, like a brown person is here. <laughs> but whenever you yeah, but whenever I started to, to name certain things specifically pertaining to um, whiteness or the ways that like, OK, yes, we are a group of women. Mm-hmm. Um, even there were like cis and trans women in the room. Mm-hmm. We're a group of women, but the fact that I am a um a black woman specifically, but a woman of color in general, my experience is different and people like to acknowledge that, but not when you get into the specifics of like, hey, this is the way that whiteness affects me. Um and then yeah, so people like to kind of police what you say, mm-hmm. how you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's demoralizing. I think that's um inauthentic. I think it's really a waste of time because it's like we're not here for your photo op, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How about you? For me, I definitely similar situation of just um, if a I like specifically remember being a part of an internship and they were doing they were making promotional material and they're like, Oh, Sadie, you have to come and we want to interview you. And we want you to be, you know, all these little fake scenes where you like pretend to eat lunch with a group of people. You pretend to work out at the gym, you know, like just very, yeah, they wanted that diversity. They wanted, they legitimately wanted the photos. Um, But I wasn't in a place at that time to ever call that out or to you know yes. bring out anything because I was an intern I was young I wasn't in mm-hmm. the mindset where I was conscious of how these um these things interact in our life every day like it, that conscious level wasn't there um and I think once I finally started advocating for myself and speaking up about things that I was unhappy with at work um mm-hmm. you know it's now that's now um it's been in the last year and Mm -hmm. so I'm in a position in my job where I'm no longer an intern I'm no longer a new employee and since I do work for federal government there's a level that they have to listen to me (laughs) it's not a you know a private company where they can just be like oh whatever it's kind of like, um, I, I could file a complaint and this could get really gross if you, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you, Maybe. this keeps happening. So, yes. yeah. And I think the issues that I also bring up, I often like to remind them that it's a liability for them. I'm like, you can get sued for the things you're doing. So just, just be aware. Oh, just be aware. Because I think we're all self-interested. Mm. Self-interested. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think that really speaks to, I actually was just talking about this last week again during that conference about how people just are always like, we need to have more conversations and like, let's speak up and don't be silent. But there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of danger and vulnerability that comes with speaking up, especially when you're a part Mm -hmm. of the vulnerable class. Mm -hmm. And it's like, sometimes you have to kind of eat it until you're in a position where you're like, okay, I'm ready to risk this. And there are things in place that act 
as a safety net, so to speak. Yeah. Even whenever I had that conversation that I told you about with my boss, like, the thing yeah. is, I had gotten to the point where I was like, number one, I'm ready to, I can no longer move forward like this. So mm-hmm. I have to be willing to to lose risking my job. But part of the comfort that came with that is knowing that, like, oh, I've worked here long enough that I that I would get unemployment um. and that I that I could take it to the board of directors and advocate for myself about why this would be unfair. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was just like, and then I know that like the work that I do and the way that I do it, like I am needed at my job. So mm-hmm. that gave me this like extra blanket of security opposed to, like you said, being an intern or even being new or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had a bit of a savings and if it came down to it, I could stay with my sister until I can get back home to Oklahoma, you know, and everybody's not in this privileged position to just like, just speak up. Just, we just have to have the conversation, you know, right. mm-hmm. often it is punishment and backlash. Yeah. Or completely talked over. I know I've attended yes. one of those little inclusivity meetings at work. Yeah. And I said something <laughs> to the fact of, I don't, I don't even remember what it was. Um, and a white woman just immediately after I said something just went back. Oh, it was about agency, having like personal agency at work. If someone mm-hmm. is sexually harassing you mm-hmm. and um, I've brought up power dynamics and how, you know, the yes. people <laughs> don't want to speak up because they don't know what will happen to their job and they don't know what can happen to them. And they have been in situations where nothing has happened. So what is the point? And then a white woman immediately was like, well, they need to be the ones talking. They need to be the ones speaking up. And it's on them. It's on them to report it. And I'm just like, you didn't hear anything I just said, did you? I just said. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like that takes a lot of vulnerability and courage for you to even say that in this space. And it's like, I think people also don't take that into account. Like, why would I risk it knowing that something like this, like you just completely dismiss what I said? That's like not safe. Mm-hmm. And this is vulnerable for me to say this. So it's just like, girl, oh, fuck you. Fuck y'all. Like, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think this really speaks to, um, I think, how white supremacy shapes culture and what is professional and like a lot of mm. space. I'm going to say white supremacy and patriarchy. Mm-hmm. because naming like not feeling comfortable and speaking up in like sexual harassment um like it can be seen as like that which should not be named or that like which should just be minimized mm-hmm. um yeah so speaking of like white centric ideals um how do they ex- how does that shape what you think health is how do how does that shape what you think health is and like healthy eating is um Mm -hmm. have you perpetuated this by criticizing like traditional food ethnic food specifically like soul food things like that I think um for me and I think especially for people in our generation we grew up and I mean I guess before our time too like the uh the weight loss culture was really big. Mm-hmm. The food mm-hmm. fad culture was really big. Mm-hmm. And that was taught as healthy. You're supposed to be this certain body type. You're supposed to, you know, work out and do all these things. And, you know, 
Um, you're supposed to only eat salad every day and you're supposed to eat these certain foods. You shouldn't eat anything fried and you shouldn't eat, um, yeah, like soul food is, you know, unhealthy and it's always made with bad, you know, um, ingredients versus good ingredients and Mm -hmm. like this terminology and this binary of food, um, definitely like my whole life up until the last few months when we've been having these discussions and I've been learning, um, I've always, I've definitely had these thoughts and I've definitely existed in a very white centric mindset. And so unlearning a lot of this stuff has been, you know, freeing for me and just kind of like, it just feels, my body feels healthier when I'm not like criticizing myself all the time Uh and when I eat, you know, I had a thought the other day and I think I like had a croissant for breakfast and I was like, I literally told myself, I was like, Oh, well I can't have that cookie um, for like a snack later because I had that croissant and I was just like, wait, 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 who, who is telling you this? Like no one is telling you this, but yourself. And I was just like, that's not, you can eat what you want to eat, Sadie. Like that's, it's okay you're going to be all right. Like, it doesn't matter. But like, even like, you you know, like it's still there. It's still so present because that is what I learned for so long. So, so deeply, so deeply ingrained. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely have heard and even thought about criticizing food, um, soul food, um, ethnic foods, I think more so in the sense of just like the specifics of what people eat you know, in America, it's very chicken, cow. Um, what's the other one? Chicken, pig. cow, pig. Thank you. Yeah, pork. And then other cultures eat all kinds of other different uh, protein sources. And so there's always that kind of like, oh, that's gross or that's, you know, not, that's not good. But mm-hmm. it's like it's a protein source. It's what people have access to. So it took me, you know, a while but I've definitely all definitely been working on unlearning that as well and getting rid of that judgment yeah Yeah. man I like your answer so deeply resonated with me for a few reasons number one the like ridding yourself of that hypercritical like voice that like Mm -hmm. judges Mm -hmm. even like during the break we just took I ate like a mandarin orange or whatever and at first, I wasn't going to eat it because I was like, so I'm trying to do like this, like where I keep my carbs lower or whatever. Mm. And I was like, ah, this is higher in carbs. And I was like, I just want a damn orange. I'm going to eat the orange. <laughs> so I ate it, even though I'm in my house by myself. Nobody's telling me I can't have an orange. I obviously bought the oranges so I can eat them. <laughs> but still having to like go through this like thing of like, mm-hmm. that is forbidden or whatever. Even though, yeah, it's so much about... um that what we internalize, that voice we internalize to police our bodies. And that mm-hmm. is also rooted in white supremacy and patriarchy, especially when you talk about women. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that was, that deeply resonated. Um, and also when we talk about these things like good or bad, or like in therapy, I learned about like black and white thinking and mm-hmm. how that is one of the, the things that, uh, is it black or white? Sorry, let me look it up. So, 
it can like lead to things like um like anxiety and depression because you like switch between these like poles Mm. Um, for that and so much of our world in perspective is structured in this black and white thinking and um because like food is never really good or bad you know like there's a lot of nuances to that Mm -hmm. and so it is you do I number one feel better and it actually is healthier physically and mentally and emotionally when we don't think of things like this is good or bad and so much of our our society is structured like that which leads us to have higher levels of anxiety depression that's why everybody's so anxious and depressed you know Mm -hmm. yeah so 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 that for sure and then uh, yeah I've definitely had to think with soul food especially um, I'm gonna say soul food in other. Hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna say soul food because I was gonna say other black, black food. But when I think of like Caribbean food, I think of like things that are lighter and fresher. And so mm-hmm. I definitely don't have these like same negative associations. So yeah. definitely soul food because, um, yeah, because it's super demonized. Um, or seen, it's super demonized, but people love to indulge in it, and people just are like, it was so greasy and fatty, and blah, 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 and like, that's just not the whole of it. Mm-hmm. I also learned um, that the, so it's not, there's a particular type of fat that's like not the, the best for your like heart health, but fat itself is not the culprit for um, leading to like higher weight levels, it's actually sugar, mm-hmm. and yeah, a couple of decades ago, the sugar industry did some lobbying to um, change the campaigns from, like, identifying sugar as the culprit um, of these, like, this rise in, like, again, higher weight levels, and make it seem that it's, like, make it seem as if fat is the culprit, so mm. it's really just another corporate scheme, like, America is just a corporation. Right. <laughs> Wow. But, yeah. So, wow. yeah, it's like it shapes the the way we what we think of as healthy because of, you know, corporation and mass media. So, wow, that this is so it's like surprising because I did not know that. But then it's also not surprising. Like right. Said, it's just another thing. Of course. Of yep. course. Wow. That makes yeah, so much when you sense. You're like, oh, yeah, that that sounds right on brand. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Wow, I do remember that though. It was like 20 years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. when they were like, trans fat, trans fat's the worst thing. Yeah, we're all gonna die. Trans fat. <laughs> exactly. I remember That's that. That's how it was. Yeah, it was like a huge freak out. You're dead. Mm-hmm. Now people are like, I do a handful of bacon a day. And then I yeah, for follow real. up with bacon because I'm keto. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Lord. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah you're so that's right. That's why I'm just like, get the best, divest, divest, divest. This is exactly. all about a bottom line of profit. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so has this chapter or this book in general helped shape the way you look at soul food specifically? And if so, how? Yes, absolutely. I've definitely had an image of soul food in my mind and it was tied to, you know, 
unhealthy or eating fried food and things. And then after reading this and learning about um, just more about how all American food is black food, first off, I think that was a really big eye-opener and how... I think um, black and indigenous food. Correct. Thank you. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And so just realizing that changed the way that I think about food in America, for sure. And additionally, soul food specifically, you know, there's an element of, I guess, that white centric term of healthy food, Mm -hmm. but it also Mm -hmm. includes that um, is often overlooked. And this book kind of highlighted the ways in which the um, communities came together and ate food and how, you know, just that, that socialization, that community aspect and how that did have a historical roots in agriculture, um, and sustenance. It just, yeah, it definitely changed the way I thought about it. And I was much, I guess, prouder to Mm -hmm. say, I was like, oh yeah, soul food. Yeah. Um, much like you, definitely more proud. I'm able to, I think, um, contextualize soul food differently because I did think of it as very, very delicious, but mm-hmm. heavy and unhealthy. Um, and I don't, I don't, I didn't look at it in a nuanced way, but I also didn't look at it in the context of this has historical and cultural roots, and this is why this is done this way, and this is how, you know, this is where this. Con- um, tradition comes from. This is how this came about. So it makes me more curious to learn more about the context to be able to share. I have always been a fan of the word, of the term soul food, and been excited to share that with other people from different cultures of like, hey, this is the kind of food we eat because it's about nourishing on a spiritual level and not just, um, you know, physi- physiologically nourishing and mm-hmm. have people react in a very like warm way and like been excited about that and that brings me a lot of joy to be like hey this is the food of my people but still having the shame about specifically what that was like what the like if I were to cook some food and like make like some fried catfish or something and not be like oh this is super unhealthy but it's delicious you know I think I would always probably caveat it like that Yeah, so this just helps me, like, yeah, and I think that just has roots in, like, obviously, like, white supremacy and patriarchy in the ways that, like, polices people's bodies, but in, in black folks' bodies specifically, but also in just, like, maybe, like, or under that same umbrella, like, fat phobia and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Today's discussion was based on the study guide we created for this podcast. The study guide is free, and if you would like access, the link is included in the show notes. Destroy capitalism.